turn to uh, John chapter 19, and uh, we are looking at the mountain peak of redemption. We have been going through the Bible chronologically um, this year, and all the stories that uh, that we've uh, talked about have been been pointing to this um, this uh, this very chapter of uh, of our redemption. So I want us to read verses uh, 28 through 30 this morning, and uh, go from there. <clears throat> Bible says, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head. And gave up his spirit. We're going to be looking at those two phrases this morning. Uh, I thirst and it is finished and, and what they mean. But first I want to talk about, about Jesus' strength. What kept Jesus going? What, what, was, what kept him motivated? Because oftentimes, church, we underestimate... We underestimate what Jesus went through. Jesus faced opposition at every corner. Jesus was rejected by people. Jesus suffered uh, persecution. He suffered for us. In many ways, he was all alone. Uh, The Bible says that he was tempted by the devil. And this morning we're looking at the strength that was required for Jesus to go through the cross, to, to die on the cross. And we think to ourselves, well, you know, he was God. And so that enabled him to get through very difficult situations. But we overestimate that and forget the fact that Jesus was also man. The Bible says that Jesus was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. Uh, Jim, my clicker isn't working. I think you need to go out of uh, easy worship and into a PowerPoint, and that will help me move that. But I want us to look at uh, the secret of Jesus' strength this morning. And uh, it's still not working. Okay. Nope. We're in easy worship. PowerPoint should be on the desktop. Okay, here we go. I want us to look at the secret of Jesus' strength. I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 first. Paul says this about Christ. He says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself taking the form of a servant, becoming born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. When we see Jesus on the cross, we not only see God hanging from the cross, but we see 
Jesus as human hanging from the cross. And as we look at Jesus' life and all the things that he faced, you know what? He had all the resources available to him as a man that we have for us today. Two things that Jesus, two, one person that God plugged into, and that was the Holy Spirit to begin with. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit and his power. If you go to Acts chapter 10, verse 38, in Peter's message to Cornelius, Peter tells Cornelius that God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and his power. As we look at the life of Christ, Jesus was completely dependent on the Spirit for his power. And the same resource that was available to Jesus, that Jesus had to depend on, that same Spirit is available to you and I today. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 5, verse 16, the Bible talks about the fact that Jesus would, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Who was he praying to? He was praying to his heavenly father, and he was asking the father for strength to get through his day. Jesus did this regularly. And think about this, church. Jesus is God. He's creator of heaven and earth. And it was, he's, he's, he felt it was necessary. He knew the importance to get alone with him. If Jesus knew that, and if Jesus did that, how much more do you and I need to get alone with God? Do you get alone with God regularly, daily? Are you needy for the Holy Spirit's power in your life? The Son of God needed this. And if the Son of God needed this, how much more do you and I? That was the first secret. The second secret is this, is the Word of God. The Word of God. Look at verse 28 again of uh, chapter 19. And after this, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture. Jesus bled the scripture. Jesus is dying on the cross for our sin. And he is very aware of the scripture that is yet to be fulfilled. I don't know about you, but when I'm squeezed, you know, when when someone or something is pressing on, uh, on me, the first thing that doesn't come to my mind or out of my mouth is Scripture. You know, oftentimes when it's a person, I'm thinking, man, I really want to wring this guy's neck. Am I the only one here that thinks that? <laughs> okay. I think we all think that, all right? But then I have second thoughts because, you know what, I'm the pastor and people may be re- looking around, and so I reconsider. But that's my flesh. That's the, that's the true me, unfortunately. But that wasn't the way it was with Jesus. 
Here Jesus is suspended from the cross between heaven and earth, dying for our sin, and he has scripture on his mind. And Jesus was always like this. When Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit, tempted by the devil, what did Jesus do? He confronted the devil by quoting scripture from the book of Deuteronomy. When the Pharisees were were, uh, confronting him, he quoted scripture. When Jesus was carrying the cross to Golgotha and women along the street were weeping for him, Jesus stopped and he quoted Zechariah chapter 12 to these women. And then from the cross, Jesus is thinking of Psalm 22. Psalm 22, if you've not read Psalm 22, I encourage you to read it. But it's very descriptive of the crucifixion scene. And one of the things that he cries out, one of the phrases he cries out is, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Psalm 22.1. These things are being done to Jesus, and Jesus is thinking of the word of God. How can a person be that way? Well, number one, they are full of the Holy Spirit. And number two, they know the Word of God. The Word of God is important to them. Can you get to that point? Can I get to that point? Absolutely. The resources that Jesus had, we have. But we've got to be dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to get alone with God, spending time with him in his word. And these things will come to our mind when life squeezes in on us. But this was the secret that got Jesus through the hard times. And they're the same things that can get you and I through the hard times. Now let's look at the two phrases well, before we get, get to that, let me just mention this about the Word of God. Jesus sub, subjected himself, submitted himself to the authority of God's Word. You know, I've met people who have told me, you know, I love Jesus. You know, Jesus was a good person. But I have a hard time with the Word of God. There's, there are some things about God's Word that I just don't agree with, that I can't, I can't submit myself to. As you look at the life of Christ, Jesus submitted himself to the will of his, fa- of his Father, the Word of God. And if Jesus submitted himself to the authority of Scripture, so must we as followers of Christ. If you say that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, but you can't, you can't accept everything that the Word of God says, then I question, I question Jesus being in your heart. Because those who are true followers of Christ, when confronted with this truth of the authority of Scripture... They won't reject it. Just like I talked about last week in in the Trinity. Do you need to know the Trinity in order to be saved? No. But when you're taught the truth of the triune God, 
true followers of Jesus Christ are not going to reject that truth. And true followers of Jesus are not going to reject the authority of the word of God. Jesus submitted himself to it, and so must you and I. And there's parts of God's word that are hard. But just as Jesus humbled himself, so must we. Now, let's get to the two phrases. The first is, I thirst. What did it mean when Jesus said, I thirst from the cross? Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence. We all know that Jesus was suffering from physical thirst. Um, If you look at Proverbs or Psalm chapter 22, verse 15, uh, this was prophesied in that psalm. Uh, the, The psalmist said, David said, my tongue sticks to my jaws. This was happening to Christ. I mean, Jesus has gone through um, uh, a, a kangaroo court. He's been falsely accused. He's been beaten. He's been pulverized. He's been mocked. He's had a crown of thorns pressed upon his head. He's taken the crossbeam. He's walked through the streets of Jerusalem. He's hanging from the cross. Certainly, he is going to be dehydrated. And that is... That is to be, uh, that's, that's there. What can I say? Now, I've been told that dehydration can uh, be very painful on your insides. I've never suffered from dehydration. Maybe some of you have. But it can be a very painful thing to encounter. The question is, why did Jesus say, I thirst here and now. Why, why is he complaining, uh, acknowledging some pain right now? As you read the Gospels, as you read the crucifixion account, Jesus was flogged, he was scourged, and obviously it was painful, but it never says that Jesus cried out in, in pain. The Bible says that as a lamb led to, salt, uh, to, to uh, slaughter, he did not say a word. When the crown of thorns was pressed upon his head, when he was carrying the crossbeam, Jesus never complained. But here we see the Son of God, the living water, crucified on a cross, and he's saying, I thirst. Obviously, it deals with dehydration, but there's a deeper truth that's going on here as well for Jesus dying for our sin. I want to take you back to the woman at the well for a moment. We know the story. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had this divine appointment with this outcast, this Samaritan woman. She came to the well all by herself. In fact, uh, her reputation was so seedy that none of the other women would associate with her. Uh, Oftentimes, women going to the well, uh, you know, this was a, a relational thing. But here we see this woman coming to the well all by herself. Jesus sees her. Jesus has never had a conversation with her but he knows her. And he talks about the fact that 
he has living water that he can give her where she will never thirst again. In fact, it's in your outline this morning. Um, John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, speaking of himself, will be thir- of the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This caught her attention. She wanted to know how to obtain this, this water. And what does Jesus say? He says, go and get your husband. Go and get your husband. Jesus, that doesn't make any sense. Why have you changed the subject? Why are you now wanting to talk about her messed up sex life? Talk about the water. The reason why he pointed out, go get your husband, is because he knew what she was desperate for. She was trying to fill the vacuum in her heart with men, and that would never be accomplished. The woman said, Jesus, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands. And the man that you're now living with isn't your husband. What was Jesus getting at? He was, he was getting at what's going on in our soul. When Jesus talks about thirst, thirst is a metaphor. A metaphor for spiritual emptiness when God is not at the center of your life. This Samaritan woman believed in God, but God wasn't at the center of her life. And she was trying to fill this void with men, with other relationships, and those relationships would never satisfy. Jesus knew that she was thirsty. And it was only Jesus' life that would quench her thirst. It's one thing to believe in God, but it's another thing for God to be the center of your heart and life. Look at Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams... So pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Does that describe your life? Or have you ever been there before? Where God was everything? That's where God wants us to be. When God is the center of our soul, when God is the center of our life, of our universe, guess what? Life works well. It doesn't mean everything goes our way, but we know God walks with us and that we walk with God. It's not just a belief about God. We are experiencing God. 
When was the last time you experienced God? You had a conversation with him. He spoke to your heart directly. Oftentimes it's through his word. But he knew your heart and he had a word for you just when you needed it most. That's the kind of relationship you can have with him. But in order to have that relationship, guess what? You've got to get alone with him. You can't hear his voice when the TV's blaring, when, there, when there's a lot of people in the room, or there's a lot of commotion going around. No, you've got to get alone with him, and he will speak to you. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Just an advertisement about where we're going to go in the month of January. Starting in January for 13 weeks, we're going to go through the Experiencing God study as a church. How many of you have gone through the study Experiencing God? Can I see your hands? Okay, a few of you here. It's It is a wonderful study. First time I went through it was about 15 years ago. Susan and I went through it together as a couple, and it was just very rewarding for our marriage relationship. This church went through Experiencing God uh, 10 years ago when I was here uh, with you. Church, we need to go through that again. As we're looking at our future and believing God for what he wants to do among us here in this church, guess what? We've got to lay a spiritual foundation. And we all need to be experiencing him. I'm afraid there's a lot of us that are just kind of going through the motions. Everything's just kind of routine. God doesn't want to be routine. God wants to be up close and personal in your life. That's the relationship that he wants to have with us. That was the relationship that Jesus had with us in his earthly ministry. He got alone with God. Now here Jesus is on the cross and he says, I thirst. Why is he thirsty? It's because the triune Godhead has turned his back on the Son of God. Jesus is hanging from the cross and he is now separated from his heavenly father. This is not a place he's ever known before, but Jesus is dying for our sin. And Jesus is experiencing the wrath of God. He's taking our punishment upon himself and he's experiencing the wrath, the penalty due sin that we deserved. Look at Nahum chapter chapter 1 verse 6 it says who can stand before his indignation who can endure the heat of his anger his wrath is poured out like fire and this church is what Jesus is going through for our salvation. Yes, was he dehydrated? Absolutely. Was he separated from God? Absolutely. And that spiritual separation was far more excruciating than the dehydration he was experiencing as a man. 
did it for us. And then his last phrase, his last words, as he died on that cross were, it is finished. It is finished. To telestai is the Greek word. And it means to bring to an end or to accomplish. Everything that we've been looking at in the Old Testament about Jesus being our sacrifice, Jesus is here on the cross and he has accomplished it all. He's, he's aware of the scripture and he is fulfilling every dot and tittle. And he comes to the end and he says, it is finished. And that was a good feeling. He had done it all. Have you been there before? Have you worked hard at something? Maybe, maybe you've uh, gone through college or worked on a master's or doctor's degree and you come to that last paper or that dissertation and you finish it and you turn it in. You said, I've done it. I've accomplished what I set out to do. A few of um, the engineers, uh, younger, younger guys, uh, decided that they were going to hike Mount Whitney uh, a few a few weeks ago. They're not here for me to brag on them this morning. But, uh, Andrew, did you go with them? No. But there were about six of them, and I think three of them got to the top. Three of them got to the top. One of them was Adam Curry, a real tall Adam, you know, in our church. And uh, imagine what his first words were when he got to the top. Now, I didn't ask him this, but I said... I'm sure it would have I did it. I set out what I accomplished to do. He said there was a box up there at Mount Whitney at the top. And uh, in that box, there was a little uh, journal where you could sign your name. And somebody also put an easy button from Staples in that box. (laughs) I'm not sure it was easy. But he accomplished it. You know, what's it like when we've uh, bought a new car and we've been making all those car payments and we write that very last check to, to pay for that car? I did it. I made it. Well, here Jesus is hanging from the cross and he says to Telestai, it is finished. The debt for sin has been paid in full. There's nothing more anyone can do to obtain salvation. Jesus says, I have done it all. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. No matter what you've done, no matter, no matter what label you've had to wear, what label others have put on you, my friend, when you come to the cross and you believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, Jesus' blood covers all 
your sin. Past, present, and future. There's not one thing that you can do to obtain the forgiveness of sin. Not one thing that you can do. This is what sets Christianity apart from all the other religions of the, of the world. All the other religions say you've got to work hard. It's all about you. And as you work hard, hopefully, maybe you will gain God's approval. But in Christianity, Jesus did it all for us. Jesus paid the price, paid the debt that we could never pay. It was Jesus' perfect sacrifice that paid for all of our sin. Compare Jesus' words, it is finished, to Buddha. What were Buddha's last words? Buddha's last words were this, work hard to gain your salvation. And if you know anything about Buddhism and the Eightfold Path, there are a lot of things you got to do. There are good things. And hopefully, if you work really hard at it, all your life, you'll reach nirvana. And what is nirvana? Nothingness. That's not Christianity. Christianity is believing in what Jesus has already done. And in believing his complete work, guess what? We obtain eternal life with him forever and ever. But there's nothing that you can do to get your salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift. Christmas is coming up, isn't it? Imagine sitting around your living room and someone gives you a gift and you open up that gift, and uh, maybe it, you know, it comes from an aunt or something, and you're thankful for the gift. And then you pull out your wallet and you say, "Now, how much do I owe you for this gift?" Wouldn't that be rather insulting? It's a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. When Jesus died on that cross, he said, "It is." finished. There's nothing you can add to your salvation. Imagine Michelangelo having painted uh, the Mona Lisa. He had you in mind and he takes this painting and he gives it to you. And you look at this painting and say, wow, she doesn't have any eyebrows on her face. And then you go and put in the eyebrows. Would that add more value to the painting? No. It would diminish the value of the painting. Church, there's nothing, Christian there or, or seeker, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's approval. I don't care how many worship services you come to. I'm, I don't care how many boring sermons you listen to me preach. I don't care how much money you give to the church or how many good acts you do in our community through this church or whatever. None of those things will gain God's 
God won't love you any more than he does right now. Jesus died for your sin. And the only way your sin can be forgiven is by believing in what Jesus did. He did completely for you. Stop proving yourself to others and to him. Stop beating yourself up over things that you failed God in. Don't listen to the enemy, the accuser who wants to convince you that you're not worth his love and forgiveness. God doesn't make any junk. And my friend, if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with your past this morning, you don't have to. If you'll believe in Jesus' words when he said, it is finished. Your sin has been completely paid for. Stop trying to earn it. Pastor, does that mean I don't have to do anything? I just get my fire insurance and, and I can just go about living my life the way I want to? No. That's not the way saved people live. Saved people are thirsty for the presence of God in their life. God is on their throne, and when God is on their throne, guess what they want? They want to raise their hands and worship to him. They want to live their lives for him. Then. They want to give of their resources, their, their time and their talents and their treasures. They want to give them to him because of how much Jesus has done for them. Let's pray. Do you feel like the woman at the well this morning? And you don't just have to be a female. You can be a male this morning. And you're looking to quench your thirst in all the wrong places. You're frustrated. You know it's not working. Look to the cross. Jesus died for you. Jesus wants you to be full of himself. Because he wants to give you life. And he wants to give you the strength, the motivation, the desire to get through the tough times well. Not in your strength. My friend, you can't do it. And some of you are facing some really huge obstacles. You can't do it in the flesh, and God never intended you to do it in the flesh. Be needy for him. Trust him. Surrender your life to him. Christian, are you experiencing God? 
Or are there a lot of other things competing for the throne of your heart? Whether it's a spouse or children or profession, image, sports teams, it's not going to quench your thirst. Only God's presence through the power of the Holy Spirit. Surrender to him. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being thirsty. Experiencing the ultimate thirst. So that we wouldn't have to. Thank you, Jesus, for finishing the job so that our sin can be completely paid for. Lord Jesus, help us to be full of you. Live surrendered lives unto you. Submitted God to the word of God and the spirit of God. That we'll have the strength to get through the tough times. Father, bless this time of invitation for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name.